0: Our sermon text this morning is Psalm 12. To the choir master, according to the Shemenith, a Psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, and with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, and those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us, who is master over us. Because the poor are plundered, and because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them, You will guard us from this generation forever. And on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted amongst the children of man. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Psalm 12, if you haven't turned there, go ahead. Psalm 12, as you're turning there. We read the words already, so let's go ahead and uh, pray them from Psalm 119. Lord, we ask that you would deal bountifully with us, your servants. God, that we would keep your word and that we would live. God, we ask that you would open our eyes and we might behold the wondrous things from your law. We are strangers here on earth, God. We ask that you did not hide your commandments from us, Our souls are crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times, God. We know that you rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, those who wander from your commandments. So God, we ask and we plead with you that you would take away the reproach and the contempt from us. That we would observe, that we would keep, that we would delight in your testimonies, God. But even though princes sit and talk against us, God, we, we have nothing and so your servants, us, your servants, we meditate on your statutes and your testimonies are our delight and they are our counselors. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work through your word that has upheld your people saints of God for thousands of years, God. So in this time, we ask that you would guide us and keep us and uphold us by your word. Amen. Now I have to find some to have. All right. So what do you do if your beard is so amazingly long and handsome and flowing, but you know you have to go into battle and you're a 10th century, 11th century king? Well, you braid it and you have these two stems coming down and every guy is jealous for the next thousands of years and they call you Sven the fork beard. Well, the Sven the Forkbeard, a man of such gravity, not surprisingly, had several sons. And one of these sons, his name is Canute. Canute was a great man, so they called him Canute the Great. Canute the Great ruled the, the North, um, what are North Sea Empire, I think is what they called it, from, from England. It came down to um, uh, Denmark and then up to the Scandinavian Norway, Sweden and he would rule those. And while he was in England, his court, he, he hated uh, the flattery that would come to him because he knew the poison that came along with it. So one of our sons reminded me of this story this week, Canute the Great. Hearing all this flattery, he tells his court, you are right. They tell him, there's nothing, Canute. you certainly are great. There's nothing that you cannot do. And he says, you're right, you're right. Come with me. Come with me. Let's go to the sea. Grab a chair. So they grab a chair and they sit down at the edge of the sea. Let's see if I can get up after I do this. But he sits down at the edge of the sea with the tide coming in. And he tells them, Ocean, I am Lord over all and Lord over you. I command you to roll back your tide. And he sits and he waits. And surely the tide disobeys him. And it keeps coming in, and soon his toes and his feet and his legs are wet. And then he goes to his court, and he tells them this, most wonderfully, he tells them, Let all the world know that the power of kings is empty and worthless, and there is no one worthy of the name king, but he who heaven and earth and sea obey. Fun little story of an 11th century king. But what do you do? How do you not eat the poison of lies and of flattery? This this nourishment, this lifeblood for your pride. How do you not partake of that? Or in the midst of lies swirling around you, how do you keep your sanity? Or how do you keep your faith? Or Who will save you in the midst of all of the lies that are around you?" This is our main idea. That in the midst of the lies and falsehood, in the midst of all of that swirling around you, it's not just King David, it's you. Maybe people don't flatter you a lot, that's good, but you live in a world of lies. You have to admit that and know that's true. So. In the midst of all of that, cling to the Word of God. That's your only hope. Cling to the Word of God. So we see this in, in four different movements here. Number one, you have the, the lonely and the weary cry for salvation. You're going to be seeing out this, this amazing prayer, two words, save Lord. Just this desperate cry for salvation. Uh, That's in verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4. We're going to be looking at this this cry for the Lord to act. Not just save me, but God do something, act. And God does. Verses 5 and 6, we see the the Lord arising. This king in his throne, you see him now arising. And you will see what he will do. And then finally, verses 7 and 8. You have this preservation in the midst of evil. Actually we'll do the last verse first. Why not? On the the end, on every side of the wicked prowl and the vileness is exalted among the children of men. You see the end of the psalm and it's not like a Jane Austen novel at all where everything turns out great and you marry Mr. Darcy. That's not what happens. He asks for him to to save him and the conclusion of the psalm is that he's still surrounded by people who are prowling around him, imaging Satan Yet he has hope and confidence that God will keep him and save him through all of that. That's the beauty of this song. So let's go into these first couple of verses here. Verse 1 and 2. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Verse 2. Everyone utters, utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Isn't it amazing how just, with a couple notes, you can tell what a, what what song is going to be playing. I don't really know. Just two notes. You know what songs are going to be coming. Amazing Grace. So in the same way, here, just two short words, you get David's heart just laid bare. Here's a man who's, just crying out to God, save, Lord. Save the, yesha, y- um, y- this, this root word for Joshua and Jesus, this, save. Save me. It's, David is clearly at the point of desperation where eloquence has been pushed aside and the heart is allowed to just speak with clarity. This is, a man who is drowning is not going to wax eloquently uh, for other guys and boats, you know, on the other side of the bay to come save him. And they're not going to say, hey, hey, you and the, with the boats that are floating, please, if you could, if I could arrest some of your time and infringe and, and on your joy, could you please come out, stretch your hand and save me if it's okay? No, you're not going to do that. That's not what we see David here doing here. It's just this... Heart, crying out in these moments of desperation, bring a brevity, but also a force to your words. And there's no better place for these words to be directed than to our Lord, the one who can act and will act, the one who can hear and does hear and will ultimately save his children. So you see that eloquence is not the driving factor in the formation of genuine prayer. God loves a raw heart that comes to him in the midst of loneliness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, or rejoicing, or even gratefulness. So wherever you're at, go to God, even if it's just you're able to mutter two words out. That's more than enough for God to hear you. So never clean yourself up to come to Christ and absolutely never withhold your prayers because you think they might not be eloquent enough. And here's why he's praying. For the godly, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. So here's David, and he's a king, yet he's seemingly all alone. It's, it's astonishing how you can be surrounded by people, and yet know with absolute certainty that you're just all alone. Some of you are sitting here right now, obviously surrounded by people, people who probably love you, deeply care for you. But you feel and you think that you're all alone. Perhaps it's the guilt of what you've done. Maybe it's the shame of things that have been done to you. I know Rachel and I, in the, in the midst of our deepest pain, like the, the loneliness felt like darkness just coming in. And you, you couldn't really break through it. You just had to be there for a while. And cry out to God. Wherever you walked, you were in darkness. And that's the beauty of reading the psalms, why we remind ourselves every year, take time to reorient our own hearts. We love the psalms because they meet us where, where we're at. But by singing them, praying them, reading them, Were brought to a right understanding. And David is not just the only one. The people of God, this is a common theme throughout Scripture, where the people of God have felt and thought as though they are the only ones. Elijah famously kills all these prophets of Baal, prophets of Baal, slaughters them. And then Jezebel speaks these words, speaks these lies, as is happening in the Psalm here as well, and Elijah has the same reaction that David has. He feels as though he's all alone, and he goes off and he runs. It says in First Kings nineteen, "For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant." This is Elijah crying out. They've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So, Satan can tempt you through loneliness. To despair. To think you're the only one. But in fact, it's not true. This loneliness that David is feeling in the midst of all of the lies. Because lies are, I think, naturally just kind of make you segregated from other people. The lies that... Are flowing around David at that time. They make him feel lonely. You see that with Elijah as well. And it's a crafty tool by Satan where these lies, it's it's powerful because it's, it's dehumanizing, is what it is. It's very clear in creation that it is not good for man, it's not good for woman to be alone. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of this loneliness, it's kind of dehumanizing. In a way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, very famously carried off into a foreign land. In the, first, in the first exile, in 597, they were carried off with all the political leaders and the, the skilled men, the social elites. And it seemed as though they were all alone. Everybody else is bowing down to this 90-foot golden statue and image but they alone and they think that it's only them, them three, but it's very clearly displayed when they get into the fire that they weren't alone, that someone is with them and has been with them. And it took them getting thrown into a fire to realize it, by the way. It doesn't go, it doesn't end there, even Paul, in the midst of his missionary journeys, he's going to Corinth, and he needs to be reminded. When he's even in Corinth, in the midst of a, a ministry that's flourishing at this time in Corinth, things aren't going well, um, he needs to be reminded that he's not all alone, that there are many in that city whom God has set aside for salvation, and they will get saved through the preaching of the word. But look at the capstone of Paul's ministry. What are the, the pillars of the church? His, the capstone of his ministry is that he's all alone. Demas who is with him, uh, the first time when he was in Rome, you see this in Colossians chapter four, Demas is with him, uh, Demas has now left him. And Paul writes this to Timothy. This is his capstone of his ministry. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me." He's alone. He feels alone. He's in a prison cell and he's alone. Just like Christ and gets Gethsemane, crying out to God, pleading with God and all of his disciples. Little bit of pushback, ah, oh, they're out. They flee. They run. So if you feel alone and you find yourself only able to to cry out two words, save God, you're in good company. It's an okay place to be. This is a temptation for the people of God to feel this loneliness and despair. I think it's partly because we realize innately that this home is not our home and we are passing through and we can't quite realize why we can't get comfortable here. That struggle is good. That struggle is okay. Let's see the great evil that's driving David to this despair. You would think as a king it's probably uh, political intrigue and someone trying to dethrone him or or armies amassing the Philistines or the Syrians or the the Moabites amassing on the borders. But no, that's not it at all. It's the lying tongue. Verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips, and a double heart they speak. We see here that the danger, that is, the, the flattering lies to one's neighbor. Spurgeon uh, makes a wonderful point regarding this, this psalm that the, the flattery and, pl- and pride are kind of one and the same. When you're flattering, you're lying to someone else to build up your... Build up yourself. When you're prideful, you're lying to yourself. Again, for the sole purpose of building up yourself. This is the double heart of flattery. But it says in it, with a double heart they speak. With the first shading of the heart, they speak that which is displayed. And with the other shading of the heart, they have the actual evil motives for their lies and for their flatteries. So here we see that David is a king, and he's surrounded by all these people, but he is alone because the people are full of flattery and lying to him, and he knows it. Their words are like a poisoned apple. Its appearance is enticing, but its motivation will kill you. So let's see what, the Lord, what David asked for the Lord to do. Go to verses 3 and 4. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongues we will prevail, with our lips, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? It's, it's quite fitting that the people would be saying, our tongue is with us. or With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Uh, it's Satan corrupted this whole world. He didn't come in by force. That's not how he did it. He didn't come in by force, but he came in through lies and through the tongue. So he uses his words to counteract the declarative word of God by flattering. That's what he did. He flattered Adam and Eve. What did did God really say? Are you sure he said that? No, 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 no. God wouldn't have that, just that for you, would he? Oh, no, no, no. You, you deserve much more. You deserve all knowledge of good and evil. Here, partake. The tongue is the most effective and the most vicious weapon of all. It's the means by which men rule the world. Julius Caesar... A cunning general, uh, a noble statesman, shrewdly, a shrewd politician. He's kind of the falcon point that brings the, the Republic of Rome into an empire, a dictatorial empire. But it was his oratory skill that was the mortar that held it all together. He couldn't just be a general, that wouldn't be enough. He couldn't just be a statesman, that's not enough. He had to be able to speak. Hitler. The last century takes this relatively small country, I think, what is it? Maybe the size of Montana, maybe? Uh, this bankrupt country, and by his oratory skill, leads him to almost take over Western civilization until they run into another man with even better oratory skill, Winnie, Winston Churchill. And he, Winston, it, Churchill didn't pick up a rifle, he wasn't in the artillery, no. He saved Western civilization by his tongue. The tongue is the weapon that will always rule the world. And that is because God intended it that way. Adam and Eve are in the garden. And one of the principal ways they display their dominion is by speech. And by naming the animals. So it's not only the kingdom of darkness that we see in our text. Or the lies or flatteries that is advanced through the tongue. No. It's the kingdom of heaven is advanced. Not with lies, but through speech as well. And how shrewd. How shrewd of Satan to take this wonderful gift. To turn the scalpel of precision meant to cut through the layers of heart and turn it into a a crude bayonet and then shove it right into your back. The kingdom is supposed to be advanced through speech and see how Satan twists it. He knows the power of it. He doesn't counteract it. He just uses it for his own purposes. Even now in every remote village, town, hamlet, city. The kingdom of God is being advanced through speech, through you guys sharing the gospel at work, through you guys doing family devotions every night. That's a beautiful way that God is advancing the kingdom of God through you, by you guys working at camp, loving on these campers that come in. Paul writes in Romans 10. How will they call in him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching or teaching them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Beloved, it is through your speech that the kingdom of God will advance. And here you see how Satan will twist that and turn it into lies. So then what what does David call on the on the Lord to do. Go to verse three here. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. Now I know what you're tempted to think here, but this is not some hyperbolic speech. So when David writes and the people of God sing that God would cut off their lips, what do you think he means? That God would cut off their lips. That's what he means. Pretty simple. You don't have to uh, apologize for it. You don't have to feel bad. It's okay. It's not like, it's okay. It's, It's good. I would even say it's godly for you to pray against the evil in this world. And to plead with God that he would save you in the midst of it. And to plead with him that he would eliminate the evil that is in this world. That is a good and godly prayer. We don't do it because we've been wronged. That's the thing. We don't do it because we've been wronged. We we do it because God has been defamed. The tongues which he has created are not worshiping him. The words that are spoken are not spoken into his glory. So yeah, absolutely, we should be pleading with God to act on his own behalf. So the, the saints of God, the people of God, we're not only rejoicing in the love of God being poured down, we will always rejoice when the wrath of God is poured down, but we plead with people that they might turn from that wrath that will be poured out on them. Don't apologize for the whole character of God. Rejoice in his wrath that will come down on those who dishonor him. On that note, let's move on. Verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. So beautiful here in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So we've talked about the mighty power of words, and now you see the fruit of them. The fruit of these lies is not just lies floating out there. No, the fruit of the lies is inevitably ends into what? The poor being plundered. And the needy groaning. And notice here the timing of God's acting. In His providence, it is not before the poor are plundered and the needy are groaning. He lets that happen, He ordains that to happen. And from our perspective, it always seems as though God is waiting until the last minute, doesn't it? The the sons of God's people are being thrown into the Nile River. And it seems as though the promised seed of the woman will be snuffed out and the seed of the serpent will prevail. But then, it's then that God acts. After being oppressed by the Midianites and having to go scavenge for food, it is then it is then that God acts and delivers him. Not before, but in the midst of their crying and their groaning. That is when acts, God acts. It's when the Assyrians come and they come and carry off in 722 the ten northern tribes. And then they come back 20 years later and surround Jerusalem with hundreds of thousands of troops. It is then and only then that God acts in a miraculous way. Here you see it when the poor could not be any more impoverished. And when the hearts of the groaning needy have already descended down into the deepest valley. It is then that God says, now, now I will arise. And it might seem like the last moment. But it's not the last moment. It's, it's our lack of faith that makes it appear as though it is. So if it's this sovereign God who's going to hold you in his hand, he not only holds you in his hand, but he is the one orchestrating and controlling all the circumstances around you. So it might feel as though it's the last moment, but it's not. It's just our lack of faith that makes it appear that way. God is going to hold you in your hand, his hand, the whole way through until you get to glory. And then even then you're just going to rejoice in him all the much more because he will uphold you by and through his word. And you will see that he had you the whole time. So in the midst of all the lies around you, don't lose heart. Don't buy into him, but keep looking to Christ. And looking to Christ. You so see, you get a contrast between the words. They have flattery and they have lies. They're double-minded. But what do you have with, with the Lord? Verse 6, the words of the Lord are what? What are they? Pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. Purified seven times. They have... Flattery. And they have lies, but the Lord has pure words. They have falsehood, but the Lord has truth. They have death, but the Lord has life. They have the poor and the needing, crying out, being oppressed and groaning. The Lord, he has the power to uphold them and to keep them and to preserve them by his word. Because it's by the Word of God that all things came into existence. It's by the Word of God that all creation is now, even now, being sustained. Your, the breath in your lungs right now is a gift by the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. If you're struggling with sin, what do you do? What do you turn to the Word of God? How shall you, a young man keep his way pure? Keep his heart pure by guarding it according to your word. And all of this only makes sense because the word became flesh. In verse 7, God promises that he will keep you and guard you forever. And that is exactly what he's doing through his word. Yes, he will do it through his word. He's doing it through Christ. So Christ is the one who is the means of all creation. It is this Christ in whose hand God has placed you and that he will keep you and uphold you in the midst of all of these lies. He will keep you and sustain you. Nothing, nothing will take you out of this hand of Christ. So, in concluding, what do we do? If this is true, how should we live? Number one, remove every, remove every empty and false word from your speech. We're not fools. I mean, we're Christians, right? So we don't typically just flat out lie. We're not politician level uh, liars. I get that. But how many times are you shading conversations? Just omitting a couple words here, adding in a couple words there. And what happens is that kind of the the substance of what's being communicated is categorically true. Okay. But you shade it in such a way that you're absolved of all the guilt. Like, yeah, I was there, but man, they they decided. Well, and then it turns out, well, well, I brought it up and you know what I told them we were going to do? It's like, well, don't do that. That's foolishness. And God hates it. Don't be the one who people are pleading against for destruction. Even, how wicked can we be, even as Christians? With the very tongues and mouth that God has given us, we use them to glorify ourselves. We're like snakes slithering around in the garden, trespassing on the goodness of God for our own enjoyment, our own levity, and our own glory. God help us. Number one, remove every false and empty word from your speech. Number two, hate the lies. Hate them. Hate the lies that are around you. This is a, a perfect psalm, a perfect psalm for our world. We live in the midst of everything is lies and fake. Even the siding on your house is fake. It's just cheap plastic. That's made to look like it's not cheap plastic. Everything is fake. Your relationships, 90% of them are fake. Our food, it's, it's fake food. It's not just real food. It's like this food, like substance. Even our money, is, it's fake money. They just print it. Everything is fake. Hate the lies. Identify them. And hate them. Hate it because it's dishonoring the true substance and beauty of God's creation. That's why you hate it. And don't apologize for God hating it either. Okay. Remove every false and empty word from your speech. Hate the lies that are swirling around you. And then finally, ask God to deliver you from the midst of all of this. Some of you are lying to yourself right now thinking that you're good enough. Ask God to deliver you from that lie. That you could stand before Him a holy and just God by your own strength. No, don't buy into that lie. Don't lie to yourself. Plead with God that He would save you. Plead with Him that He would deliver you from the lies of this world and even the lies within our own heart. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we have nowhere to turn but you. And we thank you that we can turn to you and your word and read it and delight in it and sing it and pray it and know that you will uphold us through that, God. And we ask that this would be a rich, truth to us, that by your word, through the work of your Son, we will be upheld. And by your word, through the work of your Son, we will behold your face. And by your word, by the work of your Son, we will delight in your glory. When every lie, every falsehood, every little bit of flattery is taken away and we would just have the true substance of beauty, which is you. The one in whom there is no shadow or turning. God, let us be like you in that way. And all God's people said, Amen.